With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on today's episode, we recap the Jets' heartbreaker against Edmonton, including the effort against McDavid and Gabe Velarde's return to action. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. <sighs> All right. Let's get into it. Bit of a tough week for the Jets since we last spoke. I mean, they didn't even play bad for, for two straight games, but Zippo in the point column to show for it after the loss on Tuesday against Dallas. And then, of course, the 3-1 setback to the oil at home on a Thursday night. So we'll break all of that down for you guys as we head into the weekend and head into December and doing so with me once again, CJ obese, Tyson Rewicki. How we doing T Dodd back home from Canada life center. Yeah, it was a good game. I actually like, it's weird. These last two games, it's been, they're super low scoring, but it's been good hockey. You know, you don't you don't normally get that now, especially with seeing some of those games and seeing, especially with the Oilers too, with how, how many goals they let in. It was for a game that ended up being three one with an empty netter. That was a pretty good hockey game. Yeah, it was. I mean, like it was one nothing for the majority of the game, and I was like, this is this is some good ass hockey right now. I I I, I can kind of get down. I mean, it was. I, I think Dan Robertson mentioned it late in the third, but it, like that was legit playoff atmosphere. You know, like the—I mean, the Jets defensively were—they—they they were playing like it was. We got to get a one-game, you know, opening game series lead here in this. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was—it was enjoyable to watch. Well, maybe we should get into that if it was enjoyable to watch for the entirety of the game. Um, but it was a tight one, and similar to how things ended against Dallas, the Jets find themselves on the losing end. The offense maybe drying up a little bit over these last couple of games and one or two plays just not going their way. And that's the difference so far. Um, but we won't focus on the stars matchup right now, Tyson. Instead, obviously let's talk about the game against Edmonton. And it's a tale of two games for me. Not that the jets were flawless through 40 minutes, but I really liked their game after two periods of play. I did not enjoy how the team attacked, and I'm using the word attack um, com- <laughs> in a completely inaccurate sense, 
I don't like the way that the Jets, you know, went after their game plan in that third period there. To to borrow a soccer term, um, you know, that was a Jose Mourinho, let's park the bus here and try to skate away with the one nothing victory. And, hey, may, maybe if that nurse shot doesn't fool Hellebuck, they, they find a way to do that. But, man, to give shift after shift and time after time and chance after chance to McDavid and Dreisaitl, I just don't know if that's going to be a winning recipe, and it certainly didn't end up that way on the night. What stood out to you the most in that 3-1 defeat to the Oil Tice? Well, for me especially, what Dallas did to Winnipeg on Tuesday is what I thought that the Jets were doing to the Oilers for a good chunk of this game today. It wouldn't, and the Oilers would get a chance, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the second and third chances that start coming in and start piling on. It was just a chance goes, you almost score, but then puck's gone. Like that was, I thought that was especially because this year we've seen a lot of times where net front battles are lost and goals are scored on second chance opportunities so i thought that was a that was a, a promising sign to see that they are clamping down on that on a team that's that has some of the most firepower in the league i thought the chitley connor ehlers line was great i thought they cha- generated a lot of chances there were some some defensive miscues but you can expect that when those three guys are on a line together but for the majority of the game i thought they controlled a lot of generated a lot of chances and controlled some play against i believe it was mostly dry settles line that they were playing against in the in the first two periods in the third it was kind of a they they jumbled the lines a little bit and mcdavid and dry settle were playing a little bit more together but i thought yeah like i thought that they outchanced the dry settle line i something about leon's mcdavid still has he you could see that playmaking or like game breaking ability that mcdavid still has he might be still be a little banged up from that injury when they played the jets last time but leon's got to get going like and I know I get he scored the game winner, but he does not look like the Leon Drysdale that's won an MVP before. And one other thing for the Jets too, I am not a fan of the Cole Perfetti, the Mesnikov, I follow line at all. I just do not like that those three players together. They didn't, I they really didn't do much that game, and I think that's for a team that that has relied on their top goal scorers in the past i am okay with having Ehlers on that second line now and you know i think they wanted to get Gabe Velarde with just some game time first but if a guy's not healthy enough to play in a top 6 role when he comes back then he did not healthy enough to play in a fourth line role so if he's healthy to, if he's healthy enough to play i think he should 100% be in that top 6 next game and yeah it's just Unfortunate result. I, it was the Hellebuck goal that he let in. Obviously, it's not a great goal. I think there was there was a big screen though from, and it, it's a little bit further oh, out. But no, that went no, right through no. Demello. No, no, it's not a screen. I, well, it's just I, 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 the blue line. line. It's it it's still it's still a bad goal, but it what I could see why he kind of got fooled on that. Yeah, no, I, I, I know why he got fooled. It's because there was the slightest of screens, and I think Nurse just ripped it a little harder than he thought he did or thought he would. But it, it doesn't matter. You just don't give up that goal as an NHL goalie. And Hellebuck obviously knew that the second it, it trickled by him there. Um, and look, it might be a different game if that shot is stopped. 
You know what I mean? Like the, the Oilers were getting frustrated. You could just see it out there on the ice. I mean, they were starting to run at some of the Jets. Uh, I mean, they they just weren't able to find a way through up until that point. And then obviously you get that one and you could almost feel the tide turn and and the Jets just, you know, weren't able to to overcome that last couple of minutes there in the third period. But it's, I mean, you went through a lot there. So I, I want to rewind back to the first point that you made where you, where you were talking about the the way that the, the Dallas Stars defended against the Winnipeg Jets. And it was certainly noticeable in that game against the Stars because, look, that's obviously one of the best teams in the league, a group that for the most part has been there together for a number of years, a good head coach, and a veteran-laden group, not a whole lot of, of youth you know, in that lineup. And they defended the Jets almost flawlessly in that game. But the one difference between what Dallas did and what Winnipeg did, especially in the third period there, is at the very least, sure, the Stars would collapse and protect the front of their net, and it would be essentially five guys below the the hash marks there. When they got the puck, it was transition into offense. Like, they were looking, once they got the puck on their sticks, like, okay, now we got to do the other part of the game and try to get a little bit of zone time ourselves and, and see if we can create some offense off of this. That was the main difference in this one for me, is that Dallas, yes, they defended well, they protected home ice, but once they got the puck, it wasn't chip it out into the middle of the ice and let's figure it out later. It's, you know what, we're composed, we're not running around out there, let's move up the ice like we normally would, and you know what, we're able to stem the tide a little bit. I thought the Jets way, way too much in that third period you know, did the right thing at first, which was protect home ice in front of the net, all that. But then it was just kind of standing around and, and flicking the puck off the glass, off the boards. Let's, you know, alley-oop one into the into the neutral zone there and, and, and try to find a way to get away with it. And, I mean, that alleviates the pressure for a second or two. But as we saw, it just comes right back into the zone and you're defending, defending, defending. And it's just not, in my opinion, the most conducive way to defend a lead. There needs to be a little more. Let's try to get something going on the other end of the ice after we defend very well. Yeah, and to, to add on that, too, I thought that they didn't do a good job of making life difficult on the Edmonton defenseman enough. There was some times where it was just, let's get the puck in and we'll change it up, defend defend the rush incoming. There was a lot of times where Edmonton in their own end were turning the puck over without really a crazy forecheck. There were just there was a lot of struggle there on that decor, especially, I mean, Cody Ceci had a really rough game, I thought. Uh, Vinny DeHarnay was, yeah, <laughs> right? Like, I just, and I, I thought they just made it a little bit too easy on some of those D-men. And with what we've seen from them this year with turnovers and defensive play, I think that the Jets could have made things harder on the Oilers to get out of their own end. And, you know, if you have the pocket in your defensive end, you're not going to score goals. And so I think that there, there just needs to be a little bit more aggression from the Jets in that third period, instead of kind of just laying back and praying to God that Hellebuck keeps up his, he was playing an unreal game before that nurse goal too. And if he could, if we could just keep this up and skate out of here with a, with a one, nothing, two, nothing win, then we'll be good. But uh, and I think that's also uh, kind of jumping around here, but I think that's kind of the problem with the penalty kill too, is that it's just not aggressive enough this year as compared to years past. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
it is difficult to like I, I almost give any penalty kill a pass when you face the Oilers because it's like what do you do? Uh I don't know. Like what <laughs> what, what how do you want to stop it? And, and I mean like even I, I would agree like in, in general that the PK could be more aggressive, but on that on the game winning goal there, it, it's indefensible. Like you just you, you can't stop the Oilers when they get into that specific little play that they run there, you know, where McDavid gets the puck along the half wall, cuts into the middle of the ice there. And Dreisaitl's in, you know, for, for a normal human being in a terrible shooting position, right? Like it's a, it's a tight angle. He's not really all that close. And so you kind of forget that he's down there, but you also have to go after McDavid, obviously, because he's McDavid and he's entering the danger zone in the middle of the ice there. And, and I, I, I just don't know how you stop that play. I, I really don't. And that's why, I mean, look, that's why they ran one of, if not the most lethal power plays of all time last year. And it's probably why, why they'll do that until those two are split up in terms of a trade or if they retire or whatever it is. Because it's just two of the best offensive guys in the game, and they've got it figured out. And, and I, I don't blame the Jets for giving up that pit, uh, power play goal there. Um, it just kind of goes back to what we talked about before the game started, where it's like you just can't take penalties against these guys. You just can't do it because <laughs> they're going to burn you. And you can maybe survive with two penalty kills to go up against over the course of a night, but as those start to add up, I mean, you know what the percentages are that the the Oilers are eventually going to capitalize, and that's what they did there on the um, yeah the typical McDavid dry sidle one timer. Hellebuck's there as well. It's just you know perfect accuracy, perfect release, perfect shot, and it's it's really difficult to stop there. Um, speaking of McDavid and and dry as well, I feel like we might disagree on this, but that was as, as the game progressed, it was kind of the main storyline. I thought. But what did you make and how do you think the Jets did defending McDavid and his line, whether it was with or without Dreisaitl? Because we saw, um, I mean, for the majority of the night, the matchup was the Adam Lowry line along with Morrissey and DeMello out there against McDavid. I think they did about as good of a job as you can hope for. Because, like, with McDavid, you know he's going to get those chances. You know he's going to make plays where it's just there's really nothing you can do. He's doing some, He's doing stuff that no player in the history of the NHL has ever done and is able to do. So, like, when, I thought that they did a good job of, especially in the first two periods, of not giving him a lot of space to operate. And if they were giving him space, that space was going towards the boards as opposed to cutting into the middle of the ice. It's 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 hard. And then, they they did a good job of negating McDavid when he didn't have the puck too. There was a lot of times where, especially De- when Demello was out there, his it was like his sole focus. Where it was because I think they played a lot of man on, man on man defense in the first two periods, and it was a lot of Demello being like, "I'm glued to McDavid this whole shift. If he get he might get the puck, but I'm making sure that he doesn't do anything too crazy that he's not burning me." And then cutting into the net and scoring a goal like I thought they did a fairly good job of that you're not gonna you're not gonna stop them 100% in any game really but the Jets over the past couple years have and that's it's funny they were talking about this on the pregame for the Oilers but the Jets are considered one of the teams that McDavid sometimes McDavid sometimes struggles against and he's still over a point per game against them in his career but I they they do 
a solid job of staying with him. It's it's it sounds simple, and it's but it's not. But they've done a really good job of not letting him get kind of get up ice too, having him make a pass to someone, have them skate into the zone, and then they set up in the ozone from there. There wasn't a lot of McDavid zone entries in this one, and I think that's where he's most dangerous, and that's where a lot of it comes from. So they did a they did a decent job. It just wasn't. I mean, the Oilers scored two goals in this one, or three goals. Sorry, two without a yeah. with a goalie in the net. But it's it's just they, they either yeah like they did a decent enough job, but they just couldn't get the goals for their own team to to kind of capitalize on that solid defensive effort. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I would actually agree with that. I guess we are in agreement on this, you know. And it, it's funny too because <laughs> you know McDavid ends up the night two penalties drawn and assists on the game winner. And we're sitting here being like, that's about as good as you can play him. <laughs> that's, that, that's some good defense by the jets there. But I mean, look, I mean the, the past three games, he had three point periods in each of them. So in a way the jets actually did defend him pretty good there. I mean, the one thing Winnipeg does, and I, I don't even know if it's necessarily as well. They do it any differently than any other team out there. But they sure like to toe that line in terms of penalties against McDavid, oh, yeah. right? Like they, <laughs> and like I don't blame. I don't. This isn't like a knock on the Jets or anything like that. I mean, and it's wild too because they called two penalties against McDavid, like two penalties drawn by McDavid there. But I mean, you, you, you got to try essentially to hope the refs help you out a little bit too. And they'll do a little tug and pull here and there. They'll do a little, yeah, we'll interfere on this play here. Maybe Adam Lowry drills you into the boards half a second, maybe a quarter of a millisecond after the puck. You know what I mean? Like just little things like that. That's uh, You, you got to try to throw a little illegalities in there if you're going to slow down McDavid and company. And, you know, the Jets did that very well. But, I mean, on top of it, you could see he was getting frustrated in the third you know, basically up until the nurse goal, like he was taking runs at DeMello and Lowry constantly, you know, that you can see like there was a little more edge in McDavid's game. He was, he was getting a little pissed off out there. And I, I think, I, I think come playoff time, whether it is a, say a series against Edmonton or whoever it might be, you know, a, a Adam Lowry, we've seen it before, but he's going to be worth his weight in gold come playoff time again. Like he's just going to make life miserable for whoever he goes up against in that series. Um, I, I thought he had a really, really strong game, even though analytically himself and I believe his line as a whole were just kind of, you know, run roughshod over. But I, I just thought he defended extremely well in the game and, and looked about as impressive as as you could against McDavid. Um, and you touched on it a bit there too, Tice. Should give our, our, our buddy Roscoe a shout out as well. Um, but it also looks like McDavid's like, I don't know, 70% full strength right now. Like he, it doesn't. He doesn't look totally all there. He doesn't shoot the puck all that much. It, it's just wild that that you know his seventy percent is better than ninety nine percent of the rest of the NHL's a hundred percent. But all all in all, yeah. Like I, well, I, I didn't like the way the team as a whole played and defended in that third period. But I thought for the most part they. They, they 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 did their best to slow him down, and if you're going to give up a power play assist to McDavid over the course of 60 minutes, I I, I think you take that more often than not. Well, and even just on the McDavid injury front, there was that play where he drove 
it was in the third period and he drove, he cut into the middle of the net and had a, or into the middle of the ice right around the slot. And he had a really solid chance. And he, he did a quick little forehand backhand flick flip shot. I mean, he almost scored on it, which is crazy to do it that in tight and that far, like it was in tight with sticks around him, but it was still further enough out that it was, it was a tough shot to make, but he still almost scored on that. And normally you see McDavid kind of just rip one there, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough, these last two games have been tough. Cause it's like, yeah, you've lost them, but you've played solid enough in them. And now if you let start letting this become a bit of a habit, then that's where it starts to get concerning. But I mean, all in all you give up, if you give up three goals or sorry, four goals over against the stars and Oilers with goalies in the net, you're going to be like, Oh, I think we're, I think we got a pretty good chance in both these games. It just wasn't, just wasn't enough. And you, you want, you do want to see that scoring kind of come through a little bit more. It's the bottom six offense has kind of been drying up a tiny bit lately. And, it, and also, like I said before, I, I just, that Perfetti and the Mesnikov I follow line did nothing. Well, yeah, let, let's and let's get so into Blardy has to. Yeah, let's get into that now because I mean that was one of the other storylines was Gabe Velarde's return to the lineup. Ultimately, ends in a bit of uh, ironic disappointment as he takes the uh, the penalty on McDavid that le- leads to the game winning goal there. Um, but Velarde on the fourth line in his first game back after a six week absence, like you said. Uh, Perfetti Nemestikov and Ayafalo was that second line there. You didn't like it. I mean, I didn't think it was great either. The good news there, Tice, is I don't know if we're going to see those three together ever again. Um, I mean, I, I think as soon as the game against Chicago, we see Velarde slot back into the the quote unquote top six, whatever you want to call it there. And um, Ayafalo comes down and we get a bit of a, a, a rejigged lineup there. So I'm I'm not too concerned, and it's funny you actually said the the exact same thing I said on Winnipeg Sports Talk that you know if you're healthy enough to play, you should be healthy enough to play 18, 19, 20 minutes, whatever it might be. Having said that, as well though, you know, being in my oh god mid 30s now, you know, hamstring pulls can happen a lot a lot uh, more frequently and easier than you might think, and I can I can understand like maybe the knees feeling okay even though he's got the knee brace on. But you also want to avoid any kind of like muscular injuries, right? Like anytime you're you have a long layoff like that and you get thrown right into the mix again, sometimes maybe the other side overcompensates for the, the side that was injured, all that stuff. So I, I don't have a problem with him getting this first game in, playing the fourth line. But uh yeah, I'm I'm okay with him hopping back into the top nine and and getting some significant minutes there. The question is just gonna be, what do you do with this lineup now? Because I I, I agree, Ehlers, Shifley, Connor. Did look dangerous. I thought Ehlers especially looked really good. I mean, Connor himself could have had a couple goals in the first 40 minutes. But does that give you the best lineup? Like, that might be your best line. But is that going to be the best, most balanced attack for this team up front? I I, I mean, I, I like the way Ehlers and Perfetti were playing together. I, I think I'd throw those two back together. I mean, I, I might... I might just go with Ehlers, Perfetti, and Mesnikov because they were playing so well together and then put Velarde back up there on the top line with Shifley and Connor and see how that goes for a little bit. Um, I mean, it'll be intriguing too, Tice, because the second line center spot, st- even with Nemesnikov's solid play, still remains up in the air a little bit. And we might get a sense of what the coaching staff thinks at least 
in terms of who might be the best fit for that down the road this season, whether it is a Domestikov, a Perfetti, or a Velarde that fills that role. But what do you think the team should do with the lineup? Yeah, I'm 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 on board with Velarde back on that top line with Shifley, Connor. And I I thought the Ehlers, Perfetti, and Nemestikov line was doing, they were really heating up. They were really starting to heat up. And I don't really like, I don't know. I mean, hopefully they come back and they kind of just pick up where they left off. And then you kind of roll with that super, with that supercharged fourth line of moving Appleton down and having I follow back with Lowry and Niederreiter. But it's time. This, this team could really benefit if, if, hopefully all things nothing bad happens and there's no late season whatever but at the trade deadline i think this team really needs to key in on a second line center and a, just a another not a crazy not a top pairing defenseman but a top four demon i think if you add those two things to this team at the deadline then they become a really scary really deep team and i like imagine you add a center at the deadline and your fourth line's vladimir mesnikov mason appleton and whoever like right, like it really doesn't matter who's yeah. the left winger on that line. That's one of the best fourth lines in hockey. Easy. Well, so, I mean, to that to that point, Tyson, crazy... that, I think that's a great argument for giving either Perfetti or Velarde some run at the second line center spot, right? Because if you can fill yeah, that yeah. internally, and I mean, look, Vladdy's great, but I agree. Like, I mean, if you go up against some of these other teams, like a Colorado or a Dallas you know, you would like a bit of an upgrade there. there. There's just no doubt about it. So to me, it makes sense to to try Perfetti down the middle or try Velarde down the middle there and, and see if you can fit it inter- fix it internally because then if it is fixed internally, I mean, one, awesome. But two, it's like, yeah, let's pull all of our assets here into that, whatever you want to call it, you know, top pair defenseman, high-end second pair defenseman, all that stuff, right? So... That's the way I would go is to try to give one of those young kids a chance down the middle. And I, I honestly don't even care who, to be honest. But, you know, you you would think at some point here, and, and unless you have, like, unwavering faith in Nemesnikov legitimately being that guy over the rest of this season, yeah, I, I would like to see the team eventually give that a shot. I, I don't really anticipate them doing so in this next little bit here. Um, but yeah, I think as far as predictions go, I mean, look, the team wanted to start the year with Velarde beside Chifley and Connor. I think because of that, they're going to give it another go here, seeing as that line's cooled off a little bit. And, uh, Aya Fallow has seen his play take a bit of a dip recently. So it kind of makes for an easy transition there to put Velarde up there on that top line with Shifley and Connor, and then we see the return of Ehlers, Nemesnikov, and Perfetti. And look, it's a perfect time to do so. If you want to get guys back into the swing of things, get a little of your mojo and juju back, because the Chicago Blackhawks are coming to town Saturday afternoon. And yeah, you want to score some goals. Hey, what better way to do that than against the team that's given up almost four goals a game so far this season? So that that might be a nice get-right game for the Jets, as they kind of sneakily lost three regulation games in a row perfect opportunity for Winnipeg here to uh, get one in the dub column and climb a little bit closer to the stars and the avalanche for tops in the central division there. Uh, But that's going to do it for the episode here. We'll call it a wrap there and we'll head into the weekend and uh, yeah, let's pick up two points against Chicago. 
How about that? Uh, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki, with CJOB's Tyson Rewicki once again. We'll get back at it to kick off next week, Tuesday morning, talking the weekend for the Jets, which includes that matchup Saturday afternoon against Chicago, as well as a Monday night affair at home to the Carolina Hurricanes. So a pair of games for us to break down, and we'll do all of that on Tuesday morning. Until then, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Stay safe and have a great time, everybody. We'll talk to you on Tuesday morning. Peace.